Okay, we have, uh, yeah, we're going to hear from God's Word again. This is the passage uh, that the um, sermon will be based on today. And it comes from Romans um, chapter 11, verses 1 to 10. So this, um, this passage is actually part of a, a wider section in Romans about, uh, well, Paul's asking the question, how come so few Jewish people believed in Jesus as Messiah? That's the, the bigger question that's going on. And uh, historically, um, you know, Israel were God's chosen people, and yet so many had rejected Jesus. And so it raises this big question, you know, what's going on? Uh, that's what Paul is answering here. So we're going to hear about um, that now. Okay, Romans 11. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people, whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works, otherwise grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel have failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it's written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. Okay, this is God's word. Let's um, ask uh, God for understanding. Heavenly Father, as we consider this uh, passage, uh, we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would uh, open our eyes to see uh, what you are saying here to us. Open our ears, Lord. Uh, We pray that we wouldn't have um, hard hearts as we hear your voice, but rather uh, that we would be receptive. Uh, We pray that our hearts would be like that good soil in the parable that Jesus told, the good soil that hears your word and, and welcomes what is said and and acts upon it. And we pray that your spirit would enable us to do that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If Christianity is true, how come there aren't more Christians than there currently are? Is that something you've ever wondered? You know, especially in Australia. If, if Christianity is true, how come there's not more Christians? You know, if God wants to save people, if he's powerful enough to change people's hearts, then how come he isn't doing that more? I wonder if you've ever wondered that question. You know, in Australia, the, the number of people who call themselves Christians, it's actually not growing. It's shrinking. In fact, over the last, I don't know, however many decades, uh, the church has really been declining. And uh, there are some people who, you know, they think that's a good thing, and... You know, some people even say that 
there will be a day in the near future when all of the church buildings will become museums or cafes or um, I don't know what we'd do with this one. But, and so you know, there can be this nagging doubt that, that believers have that maybe the decline indicates that God has kind of given up on the church in Australia. Maybe he's moved his focus elsewhere. He's, you know, he's left us. Has God rejected his people? Now, that's actually the question that the Apostle Paul asks in this chapter. But Paul is not thinking of Australia. He's actually thinking of the people of Israel. And that was a very big deal for Paul because historically the people of Israel were God's nation. And as we saw last week, we're working our way through Romans. So in chapter 10, we saw Paul say that when the Messiah actually came, that many of the Jewish people stumbled over him. He was a stumbling block to them. And they rejected him. And chapter 10 ends with that, that picture of, uh, from Isaiah of, of God holding out his hands to the nation of Israel, offering them salvation in Christ, and yet it says that they were a disobedient and contrary people. And so it just it looked like something had gone terribly wrong. It looks like God had somehow failed his own people. It looked like he had rejected them and, and shifted his focus elsewhere, over to the Gentiles. And see, that was a, a really big deal. It still is a big deal because it makes you wonder, well, if God can you know, reject his own people, then how can any of us be confident where, where we stand with him? What happens if he just goes, I'm done with you guys, I'm going elsewhere? And so there was a lot riding on this question of what was happening with the people of Israel in Paul's day. And so that's why Paul devotes so much time in the book of Romans to answering this question. Uh, so far since chapter 9, he's, he's dealt with some very heavy theological aspects to this question. But when you get to chapter 11, it's almost like he just deals with it more directly. He just gets to the point. And in chapter 11, he, he tells us what God is up to with Israel now. And then in the next part of chapter 11, which we'll look at next week, um, Paul says uh, what the final outcome will be for the people of Israel. And so we're just looking at this first part, verses 1 to 10, uh, which is about the uh, current position of Israel. And it all, it all is based around this, this big question, has God rejected his people? And Paul gives three answers. He gives the personal answer, he gives the biblical answer, and he gives the sobering answer. And we're going to look at those three answers. So first of all, Paul gives the personal answer. Has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. So this is the personal answer. Paul can say, hello, look at me, I'm an Israelite. Okay, God hasn't given up on people from Israel, because look, I'm the real deal. And he gives a little bit of his history, you know, descendant of Abraham, member of the tribe of Benjamin, uh, if we go over to Philippians 3, there's actually a whole, you know, a whole lot more uh, of Paul's Jewish credentials. It wasn't just genetic for Paul. Uh, he was 
a sold-out Jew. You know, last week we looked at how so many of the Jewish people mistakenly thought that the way to salvation is by earning it by your works. And Paul was one of those guys. He, he tells us in Philippians he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. You know, he was really into the law and he thought that if he kept the law well enough, that that would actually earn his righteousness. You know, that would earn a right standing with God. And uh, Paul, he was, he was so zealous as a Jew. In fact, his zeal for Judaism was so strong that he absolutely hated the claims of Christ because that contradicted them. And Paul made it his personal ambition to stamp out Christianity. Now, the book of Acts talks about how he was breathing out murderous threats against Christians. He went from house to house arresting them. He got authority to do that. And uh, the early church was absolutely terrified of Paul. And so if there was ever a hard-nosed Jewish person who God should have left alone, who God should have rejected, if there was ever one of them, it was, the, it was Paul. And yet God, in his incredible mercy, saved Paul. In fact, today we're in the mood for listening to testimonies. And uh, it was so good to hear Caleb's testimony. Let's actually hear the Apostle Paul's testimony. What's Paul's testimony? Let's look at 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 12. Here's Paul's testimony. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. So in Paul's own testimony, he could look at his own life, he could see how lost he was, how deceived he was, how hardened he was to the truth of Jesus, and he could see that if God would reach in and save him, the foremost of sinners, he calls himself. Other translations put it, the chief of sinners. If God could reach in and save him, then that means God could save anyone. And so when Paul looked out at his fellow Jews, all these people who had rejected Jesus and just seemed so far from the gospel, Paul didn't give up hope. Thought, if God can save me, he can save them too. In fact, that's actually something that all of us, I think, if we're believers, can relate to. Because we know that if God has saved us, it's not because there was anything special in us that, that made him want to save us. It's the very opposite. That in and of ourselves, we were, we were lost. We were deceived. We were hardened to the truth. 
the, The book of Ezekiel talks about how God has to first take out the heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh before we will ever listen to the gospel. And so from our own experience, you know, we should have that same confidence that Paul had, that if God can save us, then he can save anyone. In fact, it's, it's God, God's grace which saves the most unlikely. That's, that's the way God shows it. It's by grace. He saves the people that we would think, man, that, they don't have any hope. And so that's Paul's first answer to this question. Has God given up on his people? No. He, he was a Jewish person. God saved him. So there's hope. Okay, the second answer, though, this is in verses 2 to 6, And this is the biblical answer. Has God rejected his people? No. Here comes the biblical answer. And the biblical answer is that God always has a remnant who are saved by grace. God always has a remnant who are saved by grace. So if you look at verse 2, Paul says, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. His people whom he foreknew. And that word foreknew, it has already come up in Romans, and we spent a bit of time looking at that because it's an important um, word. Uh, it's a word that means uh, that, that God sets his love on people, not because of anything good in them, but because he just chooses to love them. And so when God foreknew someone, uh, in Romans 8 it says, those he foreknew, he also predestined, those he predestined, he also called, those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. And we called that the golden chain of salvation, which means that whenever God foreknows someone, that the rest will just work out because God is absolutely committed to them. But the main point that Paul is making here is that those whom God foreknew is not the entire nation of Israel. That's his point. He's saying the whole nation isn't foreknown by God, but only a remnant of people. And what does a remnant mean? Well, a remnant means a remaining portion within the whole. Do you know, before I became a minister, I was a seed collector for a tree nursery. And uh, a lot of my work as a seed collector revolved around remnant vegetation. And remnant vegetation, what that is, it's, you know, there's a whole heap of plants in Australia that there's just there's only a small amount left. There used to be heaps. You know, but so much of the land is cleared and all of that, which I guess is necessary for life. Um, but there's a whole lot of plants where there's only a remnant left. And that's where I used to spend most of my time collecting seed. But what this passage is saying is that God's people have always been like that. Just a remnant. Hey, God never chose the whole nation to be his, his own people but a remnant within the nation. And Paul makes this case from the Bible. And here Paul could have gone to so many examples of uh, times where where God's people were just a very small number within the whole nation. Uh, But what Paul does, very helpful, he chooses one of the darkest moments in Israel's history to prove his case. And it's in the days of Elijah Uh, in the northern kingdom of Israel. So if you look at verse 2, Paul writes, Do you know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. 
And so if there was ever a time in Israel's history when it looked like God had given up and moved away, it was at the, in the days of Elijah. Because in those days, uh, you know, Matt read it out from 1 Kings 19, that's when King Ahab was ruling. And King Ahab was an extremely wicked king. He was married to a very evil woman uh, named Queen Jezebel. Uh, don't ever name your children Ahab or Jezebel as a tip. But together, Ahab and Jezebel had been systematically killing off the prophets within Israel. That was their way of trying to destroy the faith of Israel. And so Elijah, he was next in line. And so at this point in 1 Kings uh, that we read, he was running for his life. And Elijah, he goes into a cave and he's just so upset with how everything's gone. And he basically says to God, you know, it's all over. I give up. You might as well just end me now because I'm the only one left and they're going to kill me anyway, so let's just, have, let's just be done now. It's all finished. Hey, God's whole plan of saving people, it's gone, it's done. That's how Elijah viewed it. Obviously, he was very depressed. But what, what, is, what does God say? Look at verse 4. What is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Now, these are people that Elijah didn't even know about. But what it showed him, that even in the darkest of days, when God's people were nowhere to be seen, God still had his people. God still had his chosen. He had a remnant. And in verse 5, Paul says it's the same right now. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace, but if it's by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works, otherwise grace would no longer be grace. See, Paul is saying God has a remnant of people in the midst of all the unbelieving Jews. God still has his own people, his elect, his, his remnant. And, and why does God choose them, though? Why did God choose a remnant? Was it because out of all of these unbelieving people, there were some who were more inclined to believe. You know, is it, is it out of all these people that there were some who kind of impressed God by their outstanding morality? Of course not. Or did God choose some because he looked into the future and he could see who would choose him and so he thought, well, I'll choose them. Is that how it works? No. No, he chooses some out of his own free choice. He chooses them not because there was something in them that impressed him, but because he decided to love some who didn't deserve to be loved. And that's the point Paul is making. God's choice, it's always by grace. It's never on the basis of anything in us. Otherwise, it would be by works. And then grace would be completely eliminated. But out of this sinful, rebellious nation, God chose some to be saved. And those are called the remnant, the remnant. And so what we're seeing here, though, is that even when it looks like the gospel is being rejected, okay, even when God's people are nowhere to be seen, it's not the end of the story. God always has his people. He always has his chosen, chosen by grace, even if it's only a remnant. And so that was true in Elijah's day. It was true in Paul's day. It's even true in our day today. God always has his people. Uh, 
that's true among Jewish people today. Okay, God still has his chosen. But it's also true among other nations. It's true even of Australia. God has his chosen. And that's something we need to remember, especially when we face challenges uh, in, in this culture that we live in today. You know, we look at the way things are going and we start to feel like Elijah. You know, we look at the darkness of our culture and we go, you know, what's the point? It's all doomed. It's just going to go from bad to worse. I give up. Okay? But what, what was God's encouragement to Elijah? No, don't give up. I've still got my people. Okay? The church is never going to disappear. It can't because God has his people and that's what we need to remember. You know, sometimes God's people might be a small group like they were in Elijah's time. But other times they might be a huge group. You know, sometimes revivals break out, great awakenings happen and, and, and thousands and thousands of people get saved. God might do that. It might just be around the corner, we don't know. But no matter how big or small God's people are, God has never given up. The size or influence of God's people in the world is not what validates the truth about God. Okay, God is God. Okay, he has his plan. He's working it out. And sometimes his people are just a remnant. And so we shouldn't start to fear that, that maybe God is losing or, or that maybe God has given up on us and shifted his focus somewhere else just because the numbers are small. Because sometimes it is just a remnant. But God is always in control, always saving exactly who he wants to save. And see, that should fill us with a lot of confidence, even as we think about the mission of the gospel. You know, going out and telling our friends and neighbours and workmates about Jesus. You know, sometimes we look at the people we work with or we look at our neighbours and we think, they just seem so far from God. It just feels like it's impossible, like it's just a lost cause trying to tell people about Jesus. But what is this reminding us? God has his people. And the way he brings his chosen to salvation is by sending us out to tell people about Christ. And therefore, no matter how lost people might seem, it doesn't matter how dark our culture might get, okay, God saves by grace. Okay, our job isn't to go out looking for people who seem more inclined to choose God or trying to find you know, extra good people. That's not it. Because it's always by grace. And like I said before, God loves to show off his grace by saving the unlikely, the one you would never expect, people like the Apostle Paul. And so we need to just trust God. He has his people. His church is never going to die. And so let's keep spreading the good news of Jesus because he always has his people, even if it only is a remnant. Okay, so has God rejected his people? No. We've had the personal answer, the Apostle Paul. We've had the biblical answer. There's always a remnant chosen by grace. But third, Paul gives us the sobering answer. There's a sobering answer in this passage. And that's in verses 7 to uh, 10. And the sobering answer is that those who aren't God's true people are those who are hardened. Those who are hardened. So Paul states that in verse 7. Look at verse 7. Uh, what then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. 
Now, can, can you see the distinction that Paul is making in this verse between the nation as a whole, Israel as a nation of, as a whole, and then the elect within Israel? That's an important distinction to see uh, in this chapter. If we don't have that distinction, it doesn't really make sense what Paul is saying. But there's a distinction here. You've got what Israel, you know, Israel as, mostly as a whole, they failed to obtain what it was seeking. And what was that? What, what were Israel trying to seek? Well, we looked at it last week. They were trying to seek righteousness by works. Now, they were trying to get right with God by keeping the law, which, you know, that was never the point of the law. Uh, it was always to point them to the need of a saviour. But they didn't realise that. They, they were trying to earn their righteousness with God. And so when Jesus came along, rather than going, finally, the Saviour's here and putting their trust in him, they stumbled over him, they rejected him, and so they missed out on salvation. They, they didn't obtain what they were seeking. But within the nation as a whole, there's the elect, the remnant. And Paul says they did obtain it, that is, righteousness. Why? Because they received it by faith. They didn't try to earn it. They received it as a gift, like it always was, a gift of grace. They trusted in the life and death of Jesus and therefore were saved. But what happened to the rest then? What happened to all of those who rejected Jesus? Well, this verse says that they were hardened. And that sounds very scary. What does that mean? Well, Paul goes on to explain what hardening means by uh, giving us uh, three quotes from the Old Testament. And each quote comes from a different part of the Old Testament as a way of Paul showing that, you know, this is the teaching right across the whole Bible. And uh, he first quotes from Deuteronomy uh, 29 and Isaiah 24. And here we see that what hardening means is spiritual blindness and deafness. So look at verse 8. As it's written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. So that's what it means to be hardened to the gospel. You actually can't see or hear the truth. Okay, you hear the words, but there's no real hearing. There's no hearing that results in repentance and faith. That's spiritual blindness and deafness. Uh, the other thing hardening means that we see here is it means being given over to your rebellion. And we see that in this next quote, which is from Psalm 69. Uh, so verse 9, And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. Now, originally when David wrote that psalm, he was writing it about those who were enemies of him. See, David was the king of Israel, and then he had all of these enemies who were always trying to get rid of him. And uh, David said, you know, let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block. And uh, that's interesting because often in the psalms, what does the table represent? Can you think of a psalm that, that talks about a table? What about... You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That's Psalm 23. So what does a table represent in the Psalms? Usually it represents the good things that God gives. Now it usually represents God's provision of blessing. And yet David, he's talking about those who oppose God, and he says, let their table, 
let the place of God's blessing actually become something that trips them up, something that, that ensnares them, something that makes them stumble. And we've heard that language of stumbling last week. What caused Israel to stumble? Jesus himself. Okay, God's offer of salvation in Christ, and they stumbled over it. And so the table in this psalm ultimately does refer to God's provision of the Saviour. And that's interesting, isn't it? Because to some, Jesus is the Saviour. To those who reject him, what is Jesus? A stumbling block. A retribution even, the verse says, which means giving you a punishment that you deserve. And so here we can see what happens when the gospel is proclaimed. To some, they receive Jesus through faith and are saved, but to others, reject Jesus. What happens? Do they just stay neutral? No, they become hardened. They become impenetrable uh, to the gospel. And that's God's way of actually giving people over to exactly what they want. Do you realise that, that the worst thing that God can do for you is give you exactly what you want when you don't want him? That's what hardening means. Uh, Hardening is not making innocent people bad. It's actually just God giving people over to their own rebellious desires. And so what this is saying is that God has not rejected his people. He saves exactly who he wants to save The rest were never his true people. All those who were not his true people, he he leaves in their rejection of him. And I know this is very heavy teaching. That's why I've called this point the sobering answer, because it really is sobering to think about this. But it is showing us God's sovereignty over the destinies of all people and at the same time our personal responsibility to put our faith in Jesus. In fact, for us here today, that's really the thing we need to get take from this. We need to make sure that we here today have received Christ as our personal saviour. Okay, we, we need to make sure we're not those who are hardened because when we reject Christ, that's what happens. That's why we must never take God's offer of salvation as a take-it-or-leave-it matter. We can't just leave it on the shelf and go, well, I'll deal with that when it's convenient to me. You know, maybe on my deathbed after I get to live my whole life my way, and then at the end I'll just make that decision and get into heaven, and that's not how it works. Because in Psalm 95 it says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Okay, today. The offer is today. It might not be there tomorrow. You know, this might be the last chance we get. But we see very clearly that God has not rejected his people. He never has in the past. He never will in the future. In Paul's day, it might have looked like that as they looked at all of these Jewish people who rejected the Saviour. But not all Israel were God's true Israel. Only those who trusted in Christ demonstrated that they were part of the remnant part of God's elect. And it's the same today. There's only one way to be right with God. It's by trusting in the death, 
and resurrection of Jesus. And so if you belong to Christ, God won't ever reject you. He will never abandon you. Do you know why? Because he put his own son on the cross and abandoned him in your place for your sin so that he can have you forever. So if you trust in Christ, you can know God will never reject you. Because he's chosen you and those God has chosen, he will bring all the way to final salvation. God never, ever rejects his people. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you, Lord, for your incredible wisdom and mercy that's displayed in your plan of salvation. And yet, Father, we see in this passage some very sobering realities that if we don't have Christ, we don't have the hope of salvation. And Father, we know that there are many who reject Christ, many who think it's not for them. But we pray, Lord, that that wouldn't be true of us, that we would be people who, who hear and believe. We pray that you would take away any heart of stone and, and replace it with that heart of flesh. We pray, Heavenly Father, that we would also be encouraged to know that, uh, that it's never a lost cause when it comes to the mission of the gospel because you have your people and you're working out your plan of salvation to bring all of your elect into final salvation on that last day when Christ comes. So we pray that that would embolden us, Father, to not retreat when we face opposition, but to continue to faithfully live as Christians in this world and to be open about what we believe and to share the good news with others. And we pray, Father, that we would see our people coming to Christ. We pray even that in this dark day that there would be a, a, a breakout of revival even, we pray that that would all reveal your incredible grace and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.